Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 858. Nature gave you a wonderful tool, and that wonderful tool, we learn as we grow older to ignore it, and we shouldn't, and it's a gut reaction. Your gut reaction so often is right. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, my friend Peter Gleason. Hey, Peter, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am ready, Mark. All right, here we go. Peter Gleason is an automotive enthusiast whose passion for cars began when he was a child growing up in South London and trips to Brands Hatch to see the races. From his meager beginnings, Peter learned hard work and even what he says overworking would get him where he wanted to be. And after years of success in business, Peter's put together a unique and eclectic collection of automobiles that he shares through Concours events, clubs, tours, and rallies. He has an incredible array of BMW Motorsports race cars, including the Peter Gregg Frank Stella Art Car, one of my favorites, and the memorabilia that fits the era, plus a wide variety of other marks, and some bikes as well. I found Peter on the lawn this year at Pebble Beach with his magnificent 1928, a Sada Fraschini Tipo 8AS. For Peter, it's about the art, the story, the history, and the people behind the cars. Peter, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your life and your passion for cars yeah i'll try to the first thing obviously they're going to get is that i'm not from here i'm <laughs> i'm english uh, i uh, i moved over here about 12 years ago and uh, certainly i'd always uh, i'd always had this uh, want and desire for cars when i was younger and unbelievably so for a, an american audience maybe is that as a kid, I thought just having a car made you rich, mm. that made you wealthy, and, and that was the dream. And, and that small seed at the very beginning uh, continued continued through my life. It, the collecting never really – probably the most cars I ever had was six mm -hmm. in the UK. And then when I come over here, it just went – well, for want of a better description, crazy. <laughs> yeah, so a I, little bit. <laughs> so I did that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, the passion's always been a part of me and the dreams that I had of a kid, I still have that dreams. I still have them wants, desires and wishes and whatever. They're just different today. Absolutely. And I'll let our audience know one of the cool things that Peter does with his cars is he shares them. Now, a lot of people that collect cars tuck them away. They don't take them out. They don't use them. But Peter uses his cars. They take the race cars or you can be found on racetracks. And not too long ago, he took a lot of his BMWs to the LeMay America's Car Museum to put them on display and gave a great talk about his cars. So, uh, Peter, that's one of the things I love about you is you get out there and share your vehicles. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quarter of mantra it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars yeah so peter take the wheel uh, sort of two parts to that mark what you said I, I first off i love i love sharing them because i always say it simply what's the good of owning them in a dark warehouse on my own mm -hmm. i mean i can't drool over them just myself you know <laughs> <laughs> it does it but I, I again i remember being that passionate kid who, who wandered and looked at people's cars and I should do the same. I should give give back. But I do enjoy sharing them. I, I always say to anybody that comes around 
that I let in the warehouse is you have to have one thing, and that's the passion. That's all you have to have. I think, you know, you mentioned working hard, and, you know, I remember as a young man being called a working fool. You know, the, the older men in the construction industry were like, oh, Pete, you're a working fool. Well, I think I may have proved that working falls done okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the, yeah. But it's also been, you know, it, it work hard, but, you know, work with people that or, or sort of try to understand the people that, that know what they're doing. I mean, you can work forever with people that don't know what they're doing or, you know, I've I've always, in going through different stages in my life, I've always tried to find the experts, the people that know. And if you find, even in car collecting, you, and I've done this in business as well, but in car collecting, if, if you want to collect a particular mark, brand, or a single car, find the guy that knows. You know, and if you're, if you're looking at a company that deals with some kind of obscure medical science, find the guy that knows. You know, it, it works in all walks. So always finding the experts. I like that. There's another great success quote for you. Find the guy that knows. I like that very much. Yes. Align yourself with the right people. Exactly. Let's go back in time a little bit. You talked about growing up in South London. I know that you grew up in a, a kind of a struggling family. You guys didn't have a lot, didn't have a lot of money. And you started working at, I think, at the age of eight or nine years old, if I remember right. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you go back in your life and realize, Oh my gosh! I am truly a car guy. Oh, now you're going to get me to admit things that. Of um, course, I, that's my job. <laughs> I, you know, on the south side of the river, much like any big inner city in the world, and including all American cities, there's, you know, the, the the bad part of town is often very close to the really good part of town. You know, and there's a there's a few blocks that separate it. In London, it was the river, and as a kid. We wandered the streets and looked at other people and you judged it. Well, it wasn't much of a walk to cross over to the, the, the other side of the river and places like King's Road. Now, if you think of the King's Road, you know, I was too young in the 60s, but the early 70s and that. And it just was, again, looking at cars and people. And there was, there was E-type Jaguars. There was CSLs. There was, there was all these, these things that just looked like, you know, I can physically still remember a sable brand with cream interior, a woman driving a V12 E-type, which was relatively new then. And, um, you know, I physically remember the vision of looking at that car and, and thinking one day, you know, if I'm, if I'm a millionaire, you know, yeah. I, I, pro <laughs> I probably thought if I had 10,000 pounds, then I would have been a millionaire. Of course. Yeah. Well, and that might have bought one of those back then. It would have done. Yeah. It would have done. Yeah. You know, that early childhood, and I know also used to wander off to Brands Hatch and watch some of the incredible racing back in the day. And this probably was, what, the 70s that you were you were hanging yes. out there, sneaking under the fence and watching the cars? Yeah, sadly, I, I my claim to fame was I only ever paid to go in when I was an adult. I never <laughs> did as a kid. But but I wasn't alone, Mark. I You know, there was lots of us did it, and I... You know, you went in there, and, and that was the other great thing about then, and it still happens today, but not at the very top echelon, was if you was a kid wandering about, the races, the teams, whatever, they would actually talk to you. Mm. They would chat. They was open with you. They was – as long as you wasn't an idiot, as long yeah. as you you went up and asked the, you know, inquisitive questions, it was very open and friendly then. 
Yeah. Uh, wonderful, wonderful memories and the beginning to a, a huge passion that you have. And I know that you do have an XKE these days. I've seen that car. It's absolutely gorgeous. So you finally did get that one dream car along with all the other dream cars that you've had and yeah. still have today. Well, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down or talk about a big challenge or a big failure in life, in business, some kind of aspect. But the most important part of this question is what did it teach you? How did you get out of that? And how did you move on? So kind of take us to one of those times in your life when it was a bit of a struggle. Walk us through that and tell us how that memory or that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career, in your business, in your life. I think, you know, as silly as it sounds to say sitting where I sit now in business, is it was the fear of lack of knowledge. I I never had a schooling. I had, I had pretty much zero education. And I, through a sequence of events, ended up in the financial world in the uh, very, you know, the, the, the late 80s, early 90s when the property market crashed in the UK. And there was, I had a real, I I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to invest money with companies. I just didn't, but it, 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 an opportunity arose. And I, I dealt, that situation happened. I then was asked by the investors involved in that very first company to start looking at other companies for them. And I, I had a real fear that I was in above my head and I managed to uh, uh, get through that. And every single time in them early companies in different sectors, I always felt as if, well, I just don't have the knowledge to do this. But going back to my earlier thing, it was that, you know, just go, just go for it. Not being frightened to mm. try. And, mm. you know, that, that was my struggle, lack of knowledge. But I learned over the years that, as soon as you, you sit in a room with business people or, or car people or whatever, and people understand that you know what you're talking about, that lack of knowledge very or that, that fear of lack of knowledge very quickly disappears. But you have to do the study. You have to put your head down. You have to get into it. You have to, you have to know your subject right, to, get, right. to get that respect out there. But, but having no schooling, especially coming from England where there is a class system, Yes, and the the way I talk can be perceived as a bit of a street urchin, a bit of uh, to put it in an American descriptive, it would be like being in Seattle in business talking to someone from the Bronx. Lovely people, but there's a natural presumption when they talk as they do. You know? Right, so, right, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There's prejudices that occur around the world. You know, one of the things you brought up here, I think, is real important, and a lot of people go through this in life and business is what I call an imposter syndrome. They find themselves in a situation with an opportunity to grow, to move beyond where they are, to be more than what they are, but they feel like they're an imposter because they haven't done it before. They haven't yep. sat there before, but you said something earlier, and that is find the right guy who knows what he's doing and surround yourself with people who can help you and teach you. And like yep. you said, there's nothing like outworking. You know, I watched a great video about you, Peter, and it made me smile because it reminded me of my father. He used to tell me, you may not be a smart, the smartest guy in the room, but you can outwork everybody if you just put your head down and go to it. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Just work hard and uh, show up. <laughs> show yeah. up early and stay late, you know? And and imagine, uh, you know, to sidetrack, I've, I've tried to, as, as I know probably you have, I've tried to install that in my children. And yes. One of my young, uh, my youngest boy has just literally got a job because he said he wanted to start at the bottom. Hmm. And they said, you're overqualified. He said, I don't care. I want to start at the bottom. Right. And he's done that. And he's, he's a, 
you know, he, I'm proud of him for actually being able to say to a company because, you know, there's a lot of dreamers out there who want to start at the top. Of and course. You do, you do need to start at the bottom. When yeah. I started in construction, I started sweeping the floors, Mark. Yeah. That's what I started doing. Mm-hmm. From that, you learn to do all the other things. Really? And if you keep your eyes and ears open, you learn so yep. much around the, from the people around you. And I tell you, being a person who's I've run a business, you've run businesses, you put businesses together, you see very quickly those people who are working very hard and are trying yes. and want to achieve it. And they do stand out. And it's like it's those sweepers, I call them, you know, the ones that go above and beyond and do things beyond what just their job description is as well. They stand out and they get noticed. So uh, kudos to your son for what he's doing right now. That is very cool. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. Now, I know that your career has kind of moved from different sectors, business sectors of things that you've done, but is there one specific aha moment in your career that you'd like to share with us that helped you move into a more successful position? Um, there's, there's a few over the time, as you say, because I've been in many different areas. One of them actually was, was probably early in that, that financial thing. I, um, my first investment was in a company, and if you know crooks in the car world or the whatever, the construction world, mm-hmm. they compare nothing to the guys in suits. The guys in <laughs> suits on Wall Street and City of London will take every last dollar you got. And I entered the investment world, and I came across a bunch of crooks and didn't know what I was doing. And the um, very quickly, though, my gut told me it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Mm. I gathered together the investors and I just, you know, these were sophisticated investors, the the large investors, and said, you know, we're all being shafted here. And they said, well, what do you suggest we do? And I said, I don't know. But the only thing I can tell you is if we all talk to each other, we all tell each other what's going on, we'll get through this. We eventually got through it. We eventually dealt with that. They then sat around the table and asked me to run the company. Long story short, 18 months later, about a year later, they since told me, they said, you know, we're looking at another company with a, a bunch of guys from London that started this food machinery company. Let's ask Peter to go and look at it for us. So I went to the north of England. I was at Newcastle train station. It was 1990, end of one or 92. And they met me with a chauffeur and a big 600 SEL Mercedes. <laughs> and the fund manager I was with, I went, wow. I want this car. And he said, he said, will you leave off about cars? I said, okay. So I sat in the meeting. They was trying to save this public company. And I looked in the car park and it was the days when companies owned company cars. They right. weren't, they owned the cars. And this car park was full of lovely cars. So I sat for an hour and a, hour and a half listening to all these intelligent people talk about how to save this public company. And I, sort of stuck up my hand and I I hadn't said anything yet because I I knew being dumb was great, but (laughs) opening your mouth and confirming it was not a good thing to do. So I I said, I don't mean to be rude, but you're in money troubles. Would you like to sell the cars? (laughs) And the guy looked at me and said, these cars are not for sale. The next morning at 11 o'clock, the uh, investors tried to put together, together a package to save the company. The bank refused, and two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, the bank put in the receivers. The investment group told me, they went, uh, Pete, yeah, no, nah, we failed. We put the receivers in. I called the receivers. I asked who the receivers was. I called the receivers. 
I said, how much do you want for the cars? The receivers were like, <laughs> have we got any cars? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've got cars. I said, get me the list. On the Monday morning, I phoned some dealers I knew in the UK. I bought all the cars. I transported to go to the north of England. I brought all the cars back. I then went to the guys after the cars had all gone to dealers and been sold and gave them all their share of it, the, the, the investors I took up there. And they said, what's this? And I said, this is your cut from the cars from that company. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I bought all the cars. <laughs> they went, well, you saw the only angle in that business. That any, <laughs> that any value. <laughs> yeah. But it was from, from that moment on, it was that sudden realization that, you know, I can think from a different angle. I can yeah. approach things in a different way and use the only one, one skill set I have, Mark, which is common sense. And I've, I tried to say to people over the years who, who ask about success is, Nature gave you a wonderful tool, and that wonderful tool, we learn as we grow older to ignore it, mm. and we shouldn't, and it's a gut reaction. Yes. Your gut reaction so often is right. doesn't matter how sophisticated the particular business is or whatever. If you feel it's wrong, it's normally wrong. Yeah. What a cool story. I, I love that. And you're right. And, you know, a, a great takeaway I get from this is it's important when whatever size your business is to bring people from the outside in to give you a different perspective. Oh, God, yes. They can yeah. give you a perspective you could never see or nor would you want to see or would you even try to see, even though you know you should see it in many respects, like you say. So great story. Thank you for sharing that. How about a proudest career moment? Is there one that really stands out for you? My proudest, probably proudest personal one is uh, I was very connected to a, well, still am, a boxing club in the UK, in our area, oldest boxing gym there, under railway arches, and, uh, you know, we spit and sawdust, and we lose kids to getting killed or going to prison or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. but a typical inner city boxing club. And when I entered the US system, I had to apply for a green card, and one of the things that I got a lawyer and the lawyer said, oh, you know, you, you need to get a, a reference, you know, from somebody back home. So I went to Mickey Carney, who, who ran the gym for 45 years. He knew me as a kid and, and uh, knew me as an adult and saw me become successful. And, you know, very often used to ask me to give talks to kids that were going wayward because I come from the same streets they came from. Right. And um, so I asked him to write me a reference letter and, unbelievable i mean very i've still got the letter he wrote a reference letter he was a an obe in england they made him an officer of the british empire because of his charity work for 45 years wow and um he wrote in the letter about how every so often there would be a kid that we felt we was losing that was 16 17 18 years old and i used to say to peter peter give him one of your talks mm. And that used to be it. And and it sounds small, Mark, but it's probably one of my proudest things that coming from where I come from, that that guy remembered that. I may not have saved any kids. I may not have done that much. But being able to just say to him that you don't have to go down this path. Right. You actually can do something different. You can't, if you put your energy in this direction. And obviously the lecture was a lot longer than that. <laughs> yes. But it, it's, it's like anything. It's, it's if you do a particular sport or 
or you do anything you do, the second you see someone else doing it, you know if they've done it before. So in the boxing world, there's always a mutual respect as soon as you see someone in a gym anyway. Yes. It doesn't matter who they are. So there was always that bit of respect for the old guy with the gray hair anyway. <laughs> so doing that. But I mean, I don't know if that's what you want, Mark, but it's certainly one of my proudest moments. Well, as it should be, there is nothing better any of us can do than to help the life of anyone, much less a child who might be going the wrong way. And no doubt many of those those talks you gave those kids stuck with them. And I'm sure you helped a lot of kids. So uh gave me goosebumps just hearing about it. So I think that's absolutely thank you, Mike. spectacular. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. And I know, Peter, you have a lot of cars. You have a lot of very cool cars that a lot of people would love to own and be proud to own. But let's talk about the first really special car that you got. The first, oh God, there's so many, but I suppose the first, well, the, the first one was getting a car, but we won't go down that story. <laughs> the, I think the first really special car was, I remember buying a really sort of rundown Mercedes, 1962 Mercedes 190 SL, when they was worth nothing, absolutely nothing. And there was, there was no internet then, and they used to be advertised in the Sunday Times and I used to, you know, get up early, go down as the news agents opened. I'd get the paper and I'd open up to the car pages. And I found this 190SL and the phone number. I knew what area that was in. And, you know, I went to a phone box, found the number, no answer because it was too early in the morning. <laughs> but I, in England, you could, well, I spoke in America was the same as well. You knew what area the phone number mm-hmm. was from. So I started heading in that direction, and I, and the car obviously looked like a deal. And I got there and bought the car, and it was in brown, and it was chipped all over the place. And I bought the car, and just everybody was like, you're crazy. What are you <laughs> doing buying yeah. this piece of crap? <laughs> and I spent years doing – I'm not a mechanic. I really am not. I'm a guy who can take something off and put something back. I can't diagnose. I can't – you know, I've got no – no ability to get inside an engine or anything like that. But I took this car apart. I sent off all the bits to the different specialists to be done. I put this car back together and it took me years, Mark. But it was my, I was pretty proud of that car, first special car. Interesting side note on it, when I actually sold it, I put it with a dealer in the UK and he was approached by another dealer who said, would they Would they be prepared to loan it to him? Mm-hmm. And they then called back after they'd had it a day and said their customer wants to buy it, but they wanted to give less for the car. And I said, they approached me and I said, no. And they said, why not? I said, the guy's got two 190 SLs. This is obviously a customer that wants a 190 SL, but wants the best. And um, so therefore, no, never knew who bought it at that time. Many years later, a gentleman I'm sure you've heard of, Chris Evans, the radio DJ in the UK. Yes. Yeah. He sold his first classic car. It was my 190 SL. Oh, my gosh. He He was was the the guy. (laughs) He was the customer, but I didn't know. (laughs) Oh, what fun. What an awesome story. Well, talking about selling cars, I would assume you've let some cars go, and there may be one that you really wish you had back. Do you have a seller's remorse story? Oh, God, loads of them. (laughs) (laughs) Loads of them. Um, Ah, I, you know, and some, you know, just – because of the like, all I think, or anyone, if you're passionate about cars, some of your earliest cars, while they may have been like nothing cars, which some of mine were, mm-hmm. definitely 
And although it's a car now worth money, it's not, I'll, I'll mention a car and you'll understand the reasons. It's not because of its monetary value. It's because of the historical importance to my collection, but it had to go to buy something else. And mm. it was it was the BASF Pro car, the oh. M1. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just, I would have loved to have kept that. I knew when I was, even when I was selling it, I knew I'm going to regret this. And it just, it, it just, such a, a, a historically important BMW. And I know the guy that's got it in Germany. It's in a great collection. But yeah, it definitely, I think I'll always regret selling that car. Yeah, we all have those. And I've heard uh, 857 before yours of all the guests I've had on this show in the last three years. So <laughs> don't feel bad. We're all in the same boat, but there is always a time and place for a car to leave a garage. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. I know I mentioned in my introduction with you, Peter, I ran into you on the lawn at Pebble Beach. You had a beautiful, I saw a Freshini on the lawn. I didn't even know you had that car. I always think of you as a BMW sports racing kind of guy. And when I saw that car, I just went, Oh my gosh. And you were gracious enough to spend some time as you were preparing it that morning for judging and all that. But tell us a little bit about a current car you've got or something you're working on that has you really excited and fired up. Yeah, there's, there's always, there's always another target out there, Mark. There's always a <laughs> hole to fill. Yes. I, over the years, I've, you know, as you, you know, you mentioned collecting early BMW motorsport as, as really, and a little bit before motorsport, but the, uh, you know that that's really my sweet spot and of late i've honed it to you know trying to get the best possible street car i can get of each one of them cars and the best possible race car Mm -hmm. and currently i'm restoring the very first 2002 turbo so it's the first european production turbo car ever made chassis but in doing that as well, I, I recently got a call from a very good friend in Sweden who has the very first works Alpina race car to race. Ooh. So Ooh. the Alpina went and ordered four cars at the same time in February 69. Two got destroyed. One has been missing forever. It may appear again. So there's only one left in the world. Uh, Boven Seppen did actually have a car that he upgraded in 68, but it wasn't a brand new works car. So the first four works cars were these cars. So there's only one exists in the world. So that's exciting for me that, again, the turbo being the street car. Yeah, yeah. And the Alpina being the race car and both very, very important in their own way. And that, and that's the direction the, 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 the collection is going in. So I'm really excited to have just acquired that Alpina. But there's always targets out there, Mark. I know. I'll never get everything. (laughs) No, no. And that's part of the fun, of course, is you never will and you never should. No, you know, because there's just so many cool things out there. But I love that you're bringing these cars back to life. And the other thing I love is that you do take your cars out and use them. I've seen your your uh, beautiful race cars, the BMW Motorsport cars that have been Laguna Seca and other tracks that you have out there. So very, very cool, exciting. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Peter. If Peter was a car... What kind of car would he be and why? God, that is such a tough question. <laughs> I know, but here's the, the way to think about it. It's not the car you want to be. It's the car that you feel you truly are, manif- you know, as a person, manifested into a vehicle. It would have to be something from the early 70s because I'm just I'm – just I'm, I'm part of the era. I feel I'm part of the era. It would definitely have to be a bit quirky because I, I feel as though I'm a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit quirky. Okay, fair enough. But it'd have to be hardworking. It would not be 
you know, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, as silly as it sounds, because I don't have any in my collection, but it would probably have to be an early 9-11. Hardworking, yep. does every, you know, does does it, God, I don't want to make myself sound too special, but, you know, does does everything as well as it can do it. Sure. And, um, you know, not, not and oh, God, you're, you and all your Porsche buddies are going to kill me, but <laughs> not pretty in the conventional sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah, but the, you know, no, it, it would, it would, it would probably be that, and and in a in some wild color. You know, so oh, of course. Well, yeah, yeah, it has to be. I yeah, especially yeah. considering some of the cool cars you have and that that art car you've got. So uh, very nice, very nice. Well, Peter, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's cars. Yeah, sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Peter, we are back, and we're entering the last lap. You've been around enough tracks to know what that means. The white flag's out, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? It's going to be boring. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's buy the best you can. Yes. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And for listeners out there that want to get into the collector market or or even already in, Wait and get the best you can. Uh, it is so important because you can sure dump a lot of money into a black hole by going the other way around. That's for sure. Yeah, big, big time. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? I, I, I do think that earlier quote about wrapping my, you know, wrapping good people around myself, mm. being with good people, but the 
the wife would say my ADHD. I've managed to channel ADHD <laughs> in, in so many different directions and made it work. She, she's a family therapist and she says, okay, is this should have held you back in life, but it hasn't. Well, so. you know, and that's a great testament. My sister is a special education teacher. And the interesting thing about what she's taught me about people with different types of afflictions, either ADHD or whatever it might be, or autism or versions of autism, is they give people that have these ways of being different ways of seeing things than others do. And I didn't even know that my father had a reading problem until much, much later in life. He shared it with me. It's something that he kept as a secret. I think he was embarrassed by it. But he was an architect, and he could see things on paper in three dimensions. And I learned much later that people that have reading disorders typically can do that. And I know a lot of my guests who've had afflictions like that are artists and creators yeah. and builders. So, uh, yeah, I think it's smart. Your wife, you figured out a way, Peter, to channel that into something very, very positive. Mark, you're absolutely right. I completely agree. There's, there's, you know, you make, if you don't have something, you make up for it in another area. And, yes. you know, it just, you lose one of your senses and you'll find one of the others will take over, you know. A brain <laughs> is a magical thing. That's for Absolutely. sure. <laughs> now, Absolutely. How, about a, how about a resource? There are lots of awesome resources these days, especially with the Internet. But is there one that you'd like to share with us? Oh, if, if I had to pick one lately, I think we all read a lot. Or well, I hope we all read a lot. But yes. the, the one lately, a, a gentleman called Robert Webb has brought out a magazine called Automobile Sport Magazine. Hmm. And it really, in Germany, but it's printed in English, it's okay. once a quarter, it's only once a quarter. It is phenomenal information from mechanics, the drivers, the the team leaders in the day. It, it's not, and no disrespect to any other magazine, but it's not, you know, some, you know, new journalist who wasn't about at the time, you know, driving one of the old cars who's mm-hmm. just giving you a, you know, a, 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 you know, I... You know, as, as, as a younger man, I read classic and sports cars and, you know, I was with Octane from the start and they're great magazines. But Automobile Sport, and it's all one word, by the way. Okay. So uh, magazine is just been the best periodical for me in the last couple of years. It's only been going, I think it's only on its 13th issue. Oh, wow. But it has, it's once a quarter. He's at a lot of car events over here. If If I happen to see you and him, in the same place. I'll introduce it to him. I would love that. I would love to have him on this show. That's the first time that publication's been mentioned. I've got to make sure I get a subscription to that. Oh, you, Mark, you'd really enjoy it. And and the people, just so much about the people in the day. And he's a, he's quite a young man, and his breadth of knowledge is stunning. Wow. Just, well, I appreciate you sharing that. You know what comes to mind is uh, a past guest here on Cars, yeah, Pete Stout, who has now launched a triple uh, zero magazine. It's all about Porsches. So we talk about my fan- fanaticism and love for Porsches. But uh, Pete's done the same thing. It's a very thick, comes out once a quarter and yep. it's like a book and the in-depth articles that they go into, uh, I mean, about houndstooth cloth and all the different styles and where it came from for the Porsche car. I mean, it's just fantastic. So I'll make sure that maybe I can reach out to him and have him be a guest on the show, but I'll put a link to that site for our listeners today. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would that person be? Uh, it'd have to be Ayrton Senna. Oh, he's one of my favorites, too. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. What is it about Ayrton that stands out for you? Uh, first off, I was at the European Grand Prix in 93, I think it was, with my 
children and you know i, uh, I think murray walker you remember murray walker mm-hmm. the uh, yes the commentator what was the best race you ever commentated on and he went it wasn't a race it was one lap it was the first lap of the european grand prix when Ayrton Senna did what he did in the rain and it was that and I happened to be there but beyond that it's you know we've all seen a lot of information about him over the years and when you look at how and what he did going into a corner and coming out of a corner even other great race drivers just look at the telemetry and go how did that even work yes you know they, they, they still can't understand how he knew that that would make him faster yeah and just and, and a phenomenal man as well, you know, in so many respects. And you know, he come from a privileged background, but he tried to give back yes. to the people of Brazil. Oh, definitely, definitely. In fact, my listeners have heard this ad nauseum. I have one of his quotes on the back of my business card. Um, I just think that gentleman, his passion, direction, and focus, talent combined with hard work is what made him what he was as a driver and as a person. And, and you're right. He gave a lot back to his country. Still does to this day, his uh, yeah, his foundation. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely spectacular. That would be a, a sit-down. I would like to join you at that table. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently you think our listeners would enjoy? Oh, God, there's loads of them. I'm I know, I know. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you narrow it down to one if you can. Okay. The Limit by Michael Cannell. It's it's the story really of the build up to the Phil Hill Wolfgang Van Tripp's Formula One season in '61, and obviously that fateful race at Monza. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, everyone knows what the end of the book is, but because it's it's there. But yeah. it's a really really good read, a good understanding of them both as young men coming through, and obviously mentions a lot of other characters. But yeah, the, it, as a car book, The Limit by Michael Cannell, very very, nice. very good read. Awesome. First time that book has been recommended. And I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these great resources that Peter shared on his show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Peter Gleason, G-L-E-E-S-O-N, and that page will pop up with all these cool links. All right, Peter, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question could be a bit of a doozy, especially for a guy who has a lot of very nice cars. I'm going to make a rule for you today, and that is you can only have one cool collector car in your garage i know that sounds tragic it sounds impossible but only one but i'm buying it so money is not an issue so don't worry about that i'll write the check what would that one car be and why i have a a, a, it's just one collector car so i can have an ordinary car oh yeah daily driver don't worry about that but this is the one pride and joy that i hope you'll take out and enjoy and drive it would have to be a d-type long-nosed d-type jaguar Ooh. Never owned one, and I hope the reasons are obvious because I'm an Englishman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. It would have to be. I mean, just every everything you want in a car, except for luggage space. Yes. Is the you know iconic English, beautiful, yeah. historic, just everything. Yeah. Ah, oh, yes. What a wonder that would be. Oh my gosh. Well. Wonder. One yes. day. Yeah, one day. I, I have no doubt, Peter. I have no doubt. Well, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would. I'm so happy that you spent some time with me this morning. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey in life with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Would you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that long-nosed D-type Jaguar? Uh, I would, you know, business and life. I suppose it's that wrap yourself around good people. Mm. Be with good people. Mix with good people. It doesn't matter what they've got or what they they, they don't have, and I'm even on the other side. But bad people 
will always end up bad. Yes. It doesn't matter. Even if you think you're earning money with them or you might earn money with them, you never will. Yes. Good people are good people and good things happen. Ah, that is an awesome piece of advice. And I'll remind our listeners, that's exactly what you're doing here on Cars Yeah. You're wrapping yourself with good people. Peter and myself here on Cars Yeah and all the past guests are all awesome people. So uh, do that in business and life. That'll get you where you want to go. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you? Is there a way for people to stay connected with you? Do you play on Facebook or any social media? The only thing I've ever done is is Facebook. The kids made me do it for the cars, and <laughs> it's uh, it's under my name. And then you go to a site called Munich Evolution, which is the name of the collection. Yes. And uh, you, that, that's it. But Facebook is the only way. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, I know I follow Peter on Facebook. It's fun. He posts some great things about his cars there. So you can do it, too. And I'll make sure I put all these links on Peter Shono's page on the Cars Yeah website. So go there and check it out. Peter, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Okay, see you then, Mark. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, You'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.